am very good at keeping my eye on the prize. And I see much of this as a game. It's kind of like one of my favorite Shakespeare quotes is, you know, life is nothing but a stage. The men and women are, it's, are merely its, its players. And it's, it's true. It, I think if you look at this as, okay, we're playing a game. My goal is to win. And I know that there will be obstacles along the way. But as long as I keep my eye on that prize, whatever that prize is for you, just keep going. Owning a business and operating a business day to day, it is tough. And you're constantly faced with rejection and self-doubt, and, and, but yet you overcome and you persevere. You've kept your eye on the prize. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. We have a special guest to share with you today, Alicia Butler-Pierre. She's written the book Behind the Facade. Now, it's interesting because Alicia has this chemical engineering background and an MBA. And so as a woman going into this profession, she was, as she said, in some of her university courses of 400 students, she was in some cases the only woman. So her story, her journey of being in this profession is amazing, it is encouraging. At the same time, she has now set up a company to help others to set up systems and processes to be successful in life, both from a small business and a large business point of view. So there are lots of tidbits in points of wisdom in the show, so hopefully you will enjoy that. The other thing is when we got to the very end of the show, one of the things I asked her was, you know, what, what are, what's one of the most important things for all of us to be able to realize our potential? And her comment was, we need to know thyself. And that is what CRG does as well as just about any other company in the world is we have tools and resources and assessments to help you to know yourself. And once you know yourself, you can make intentional, deliberate decisions. So I want to encourage that if you already haven't done so, you know, our personal style indicator is our number one tool. It is a preferred personality assessment tool over all others by participants and that's their feedback to us. And we've now created a brand new e-course to be able to serve you so that you can take it 24-7, anytime, anywhere. So look at that, uh, Why Aren't You More Like Me, the Personal Style Indicator e-course, to be able to serve you. And if you have others that need to know themselves and help them to realize their potential, then it might be something you wanna share with them and all the links are in the notes. So thank you for listening to SOS. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, let other people know, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening to. So here's our guest. Alicia. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's a little interesting because we have somebody who is a chemical engineer. And of course, all of you are like that. And so, well, what's a chemical engineer got to do with the secrets of success? Well, she is an expert on systems, on processes, and really, how do I bring structure into my life so that I can win? So welcome to the show, Alicia Butler-Pierre. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Well, uh, you're down in Atlanta. We're here on the West Coast, and so it's nice to have the East Coast and the West Coast together today. So uh, we are now friends for sure, right? <laughs> no fighting involved. <laughs> no fighting involved. <laughs> so Alicia, as we do here on Secrets of Success, we always like to kind of get to know your background and where you come from. And we were talking off air that you, Louisiana sort of is your home or birth state. 
So as, just share with us your growing up, your, your family sort of origin and some of the dynamics going on there. Sure. Well, I am originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I am several generations uh, Louisiana on both sides of my family. My parents are, you know, thankfully they're still living. My dad has a background. He was in the military around the time of the Vietnam War. And he actually worked at ExxonMobil for, I think it was 29 years. And he now has his own home repair and renovation business. And my mother was a sanitarian, also known as a health inspector, a food, health food inspector for many, many years. And so I share that about my parents to kind of give a backdrop as to how I came to be uh, a person all about structure and organization and process. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten until eighth grade. So again, you know, being in a Catholic school environment, it's very much about ritual and process and repetition. So it, it wasn't until I became an adult, Ken, that I started to reflect on my childhood and the way that I grew up, that I really began to appreciate the origins of the work that I do to this very day. Mm. Now, uh, when you think about, do you have siblings, Alicia? I do. I have a younger sister. Do you get along? <laughs> It is we a public show. You can listen to it. <laughs> we love each other from a distance. I'll say this. We're both Scorpios. So we're, our, our, we're three years apart, but our birthdays are a day apart. I'm November 18th. She's November 17th. And we are both high energy, high type A, I guess you would say, personalities. And sometimes we clash, but we do love each other dearly. I will say that. But um, so what you're saying, there's not, enough, there's not enough oxygen in the room for both of you. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> a little something like that, yes. <laughs> and that wasn't a judgment. That was simply a, simply a statement of fact. <laughs> so when you think about some of the value sets that your parents were giving you, and obviously if you have your dad working, you know, first of all, military is a systems or a process. I have an uncle who was a retired colonel. If you think about ExxonMobil, what was he doing there? Actually, he worked in security. And what prompted him, he actually retired earlier than he was, I guess, originally scheduled to. He retired shortly after 9-11 happened. He just said that things had gotten way too crazy, and he just felt it was best that he retire at that moment. But he worked in security. But my dad always had that entrepreneurial bug. I can remember the very first side hustle, I guess you would call it, that I remember my dad having was he would actually prepare people's tax returns. So I can remember being a little girl. What, what, what? Uh, military, yes. uh, security, yes. and yes. tax yes. returns? Like, my what's dad, that to do with each my other? My dad was also a carpenter. Before he went into the military, he was actually a certified electrician. And as the story goes, he, was, he knew he would be drafted, so he decided to join so that he could at least join the branch that he would most like to join, I guess. And so that was the Air Force. And after he was, he was stationed away in, in many different countries, but once he was out of the military, he was able to go back to, to school, to college, 
and uh, pursued a degree. And what's what's funny, I didn't I didn't know this until I was an adult. But my dad actually wanted to study electrical engineering when he first went into college. But he said it was boring. I guess because he was already an electrician at that point, there wasn't anything new and exciting that he. You know, I guess he felt he wasn't learning anything new, so he decided to switch to business administration. And my life has almost taken a very similar parallel because I studied chemical engineering, and I I actually worked as a chemical engineer for many years, and then I transitioned more into business. That's shocking. There's no plants in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. There's a huge plant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm kidding you. Like they're everywhere. I mean, you yes. you can't even drive anywhere with all of all along the Mississippi. It's called Cancer Alley. Yeah. For sure. So, uh, chemical engineer. What kind of work were you working on? Like, there's quite a diversity in that field. When I first, my very first job was at Monsanto. And please don't hold that against me, you, you or any of your listeners. But I was actually making Roundup. And as a process engineer, I worked in different parts of the plant. This was a plant right outside of New Orleans. And I was responsible for making one of the, I guess it's not one of the raw materials, but it's a main ingredient in making Roundup. It's called Mm -hmm. glyphosate intermediate. Mm -hmm. And what happens with glyphosate intermediate is once water and soap or surfactants are added to it, it actually becomes Roundup the weed killer. And as a process engineer, it was my job to actually analyze different batches of product as it was being produced and to determine whether or not it met the specifications. And if it did not, I had to figure out what went wrong in the process of making that particular batch to cause it to not meet the specification. Mm. So you were a quality consultant at the same time? That's one way of looking at it, yes. Absolutely. And then once I left there, I started working at a family-owned engineering consulting firm, and they specialized in working on projects for some of the oil refineries. So I, I did a lot of work with Shell Oil. So that was, that was interesting, going from chemical to petrochemical. So what really drove, you know, when you think about it, and this is not a sexist remark, but if you think about the field that you're in at that time, mm-hmm. there was not a lot of females or women that were in that. So, right. how did you, so how did you overcome? I think, you know, our show is really about people overcoming and getting into fields and, and standing out in a field in spite of adversity. Did you have any of that kind of? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I have it even today. I think the good thing for me, Ken, is that, well, first, maybe I, if, if it's okay, if I could tell you how I even chose that field, Please. because that is not what I thought I would become. <laughs> I really, I remember my very first career choice was interior design. I wanted to be an interior designer. And then I worked on the school newspaper at my high school. And I said, oh, I love journalism. I love to write. Okay, I I want to become a journalist. But by the time I was a senior in high school, I had a chemistry teacher, and she noticed my aptitude in chemistry. And she said, you're really good at this. You're such a natural. And I remember when it was time for me to start applying for different colleges, 
once I would graduate from high school, I would put chemistry as my major. And my teacher spoke to me one day and she said, you know, have you ever thought about chemical engineering? I was like, what is that? I didn't even, I didn't know a chemical engineer, yet alone what they actually do. And she told me, and and I'm just, since we're being candid and transparent here today, (laughs) I ultimately chose the field because I could come out making money right away. And she told me that as a chemist, I would probably have to go up to the PhD level before I could start making really good money. But as a chemical engineer, I could graduate right away and start making a really good living. And so that was literally how I got into chemical engineering. But to answer your question about adversity, I remember when I was in college, I was oftentimes the only female as well as the only black person. But here's what I learned, Ken. I realized that if I walked into a classroom and there were 400 other students, I stood out. And I turned what some might perceive as a liability into my greatest asset. All of my professors knew me. They may not be able to name the other 399 students, but they knew me. Oh, so you rigged it. So you did this on purpose. (laughs) It's all a part of my master plan. <laughs> um, but but seriously, it's it's all in perspective and how you mm-hmm. actually see things. And I, I remember I was constantly in my professor's offices asking questions and and not being afraid to say, I don't understand how to work this particular problem. I don't understand this particular concept. Can you please explain it to me? And they would remember me. Mm. Now, when you think about some of the adversity, uh, you know, both from a sort of woman and maybe also race too, but from a woman's point of view, how did you overcome some of the pressures or what were some of the things that went on and how did you move through it and become victorious on the other side? The very first incident that I can recall, because there wasn't a lot that necessarily happened when I was studying chemical engineering. But I remember when I had my very first internship, it was at a chemical plant, and they made a material called MMA, and it's what goes inside of the windshield of an automobile. Mm-hmm. And that, among some other uh, chemicals they were, they were making at this particular plant. And I remember one day I was walking with someone who actually was an engineer, and he was, he was very young. And we were walking one day, and a a group of men drove by us, and they started to whistle. And I just ignored it. But my coworker, well, I was an intern, but he was an actual employee. He was livid. And he said, Alicia, you should never just ignore anything like this. You should always report it. It's not fair to you. And, And he went on and on and on and on and on. And I told him, I said, well, I guess in a way I've almost become immune to it. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't even bother me. Well, it, I, I should take that back. It does bother me. It definitely bothers me. But I didn't have the same type of reaction that he had. And seeing his reaction let me know, okay, this isn't acceptable. Don't just take this. Report it so that they can stop their behavior. That's one of the very first incidents that I can recall where it was very inappropriate behavior, we're in, you know, we're in a work environment, and I was being singled out. 
Mm. And there were some other things that happened, but I too grotesque to share, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in a public forum like this. But but suffice it to say, you know, I I knew from that point forward, this is unacceptable behavior, and whenever it happens, it should be reported. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, you were resilient, and you can only be responsible for your own behavior at that moment and your own responses. Mm-hmm. So you were showing maturity that maybe even he didn't have. That's yes, yeah, that's one way of looking at it, and I think too, it's. I was speaking to someone just last weekend, and a- another lady who also happens to have a background in chemical engineering, and she mentioned we were talking about some something, and I was sharing a story with her, and she said, "Well, if if that were me, I would have done this, this, that, and the other, and I would have gone off on that person." And I said, "She told me that I was too nice," and I said, "Well, it's not about whether or not I'm too nice; it's about." me understanding when to pick my battles because not everyone and not every situation is worthy of my energy. Now, if I feel I need to give it some attention, believe me, I will, but we'd all be crazy if we tried to fight every single time someone said something that we didn't agree with or became contrary in whatever way or, or disagreeable or, or said or did something that we did not like. Mm. For sure. So when you're thinking about, you know, beyond what you've already said, for the listeners, any additional character trait that was underpinning you that that helped you in your resilience and your ability to sort of overcome this situation that uh, sometimes you would find yourself in? I mean, think we've all been there in high school. Uh, (laughs) I was the kid from the rural farm who was in the city school for high school, and I was just this farmer kid that was constantly picked on. So mm. the bullying was there when I was in grade 10, 11, and 12. So I get it. I understand it. It's just a different situation, right? Mm-hmm. So what would you say to the listeners today about a character trait they could embrace to help them move to the other side when adversity comes? Being incredibly focused. I am very good at keeping my eye on the prize. And I see much of this as a game. It's kind of like one of my favorite Shakespeare quotes is, you know, life is nothing but a stage. The men and women are, it's, are merely its, its players. And it's, it's true. It, I think if you look at this as, okay, we're playing a game. My goal is to win. And I know that there will be obstacles along the way. But as long as I keep my eye on that prize, whatever that prize is for you, just keep going. And it won't bother you as much. There is no way, Ken, I would have been, I've been in business now for 14 years. And you know, owning a business and operating a business day to day, it is tough. And you're constantly faced with rejection and self-doubt, and, but yet you overcome and you persevere. You've kept your eye on the prize. You have very tough, thick skin. And it's funny, in a way, you almost become a little insane because despite all of the things that people are doing, and there are always going to be all kinds of challenges and obstacles that take many different shapes and forms, but yet you keep going. It's like you have to be a little crazy when you think about it. <laughs> you know, when everybody is telling you when you can't do something, yet you do it anyway. I'm not sure if you saw this. It was on the news last week, the ESPY Awards, and there was a football coach 
well, what we call in America football, not, you know, um, uh, I but get it. A, yeah. okay, a football coach. And he has, he was born without arms or legs. And he taught himself the game of football through video games. And today he's an actual coach, a football coach. Now, when you look at people like that, and then you, you know, not that we should always compare and contrast ourselves against other people, but you have to then look at yourself and say, okay, wait a minute. Now, if this man can do this, surely I can go after my goal. For sure. For sure. Well, I think actually you make a very good point for the listeners is that today in today's social media, now, except for podcasts, keep listening. I mean, this is not a distraction. <laughs> this, is, this is a growth. Is that... Just the fear of missing out and the social media mm-hmm. distractions are yes. overwhelming. I mean, the amount of people who are addicted to video games, their phones, uh, likes, all that kind of stuff is enormous. So what you're saying is, you know what? I need to get rid of the noise and stay yes. focused. Now, here's what's interesting is you're talking about it. You know, all of us have had clients uh, at some time or another who really were um, high-maintenance Mm-hmm. They drain your energy. So why mm-hmm. would you give? Why would you give this person who is trying to be offensive to you any time of day? Because now it's taking away from your flow, what your zone is, what your goals are. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, because you are the bigger and better person at the end of the day. Absolutely, absolutely. And then again, as I said to everybody, it's just, I'm not saying that what people are doing is okay, but we always have a choice about how we respond to it. I'm not saying it's easy, <laughs> but mm-hmm. we, do, we do have moments where we uh, set that up. Now, with that, you're, you're working with these different companies. Just a little sidebar, I did sell Roundup when I was in agricultural sales. In really? The yeah, don't, hey, don't hate me either. <laughs> I was always told that it was 100% biodegradable. So we now found out that that was not 100% true. Right. Okay, so moving on. So that being said, you know, we all have histories and we would grow, so we've moved on from that. From that point, though, you then moved with this other company. You now have moved into your own company. Tell yes. us about that transition and what happened there and the reason for it and what drove you to, to start your own, your own business. Very interesting story, Ken. So this time of year, what meaning in the summertime, is I'm always on pins and needles because, again, being from Louisiana or anyone who, who's from the Caribbean or, you know, South America, the Gulf, Gulf Coast area, we're all on pins and needles this time of year because it's hurricane season. And in August of between somewhere between late August and early September of 2004, a tropical storm was moving through New Orleans. And I remember I used to share an office with my boss at the engineering consulting firm that I worked at. And I remember asking her, Stephanie, I don't feel good about this, this storm. Can I please go home and just continue working from home for the rest of the day? And she said, oh, Alicia, I think you're exaggerating, but yeah, if you want to go home, go home. I got home at about 11.30 one morning, and 30 minutes later, one of my neighbors came banging on my door to let me know that water was about to get into my car. So I lived in, if you've, if any of you have ever been to New Orleans, it's very old. 
and New Orleans is below sea level, so even just a regular rain, the city is under the threat of, of flooding. And my car was parked on the street, and I remember getting in my car, and when you live, when you live in Louisiana, you're always told that the, the highest ground is closest to the levee. And I happen to live about two blocks away from the levee of the Mississippi River. So I parked my car at a building in my neighborhood directly across the street from the levee, and then I had to walk home. By the time I made it home, the water was above my knees. That's how fast water rises. And I remember when you're walking on a flooded street, you're going off of memory. So you're trying to remember, okay, where is the sidewalk versus the street? And then manhole covers can pop open. So you have to walk very slowly, very carefully, because you might fall into a manhole cover. But once I made it home, the water was above my knees. And I remember being inside my house, looking out of the kitchen window, and it was almost like I heard a voice that said, you won't be here this time next year. Now, this was, again, late August, early September 2004. I thought I was losing my mind, thought I was going crazy, (laughs) and eventually they turned the water pumps on, the water receded, but from that moment forward, Ken, I just thought of getting out and getting out as soon as possible, leaving New Orleans. I remember quitting my job by the end of September. I was in business school at the time. I was going to school pursuing my MBA at night, and I graduated December 2004. The following January 2005, I put my house up for sale. Moved to Atlanta, Georgia, first week of February 2005, where I only knew one person when I moved here. And six months later, Hurricane Katrina happened. Wow. Um, When I first moved to Atlanta, it was completely different from New Orleans. Atlanta is definitely a... city open for business. There are a lot of companies that are headquartered here, Home Depot, Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, UPS, all kinds of companies here. And I just saw this as a land of milk and honey. And I thought, okay, I have my newly minted MBA. I have my background in chemical engineering. These people are going to be beating down my door to, to hire me. And that did not happen. It did not happen. Really? really? It didn't? <laughs> no, it didn't. No, believe it or not. So I just, after about two months of what seemed to be endless job searching, I said, you know what? For the same amount of time, effort, and energy that I'm spending into looking for a job, working for someone else, why don't I redirect that same effort, time, and energy into creating my own opportunity? So through a period of self-reflection, I started to think, well, what have I always been naturally very good at. And organizing was the first thing that came to mind. So I started my company, Equilibria, which is the plural of equilibrium, which is all about balance. So I started my company actually as a professional organizing company. And what I found was that within my first year of business, the people that I worked with They weren't chronically disorganized people by nature. They weren't 
hoarders. These were people who were mostly operating home-based businesses, and they were having difficulty keeping the business, all of the paperwork and, and things associated with their business separate from the rest of the house. What they needed, Ken, were systems and processes. And that's how I started to tap into my background as a, a chemical engineer, where it's all about process and system and formulaic approaches and methodologies and frameworks. And I basically developed my own framework to help people stay organized in their home-based businesses. And over the years, I started working with bigger companies. And I realized, hmm, so this isn't just an issue reserved for the mom and pop type store or even the home-based business owner. Organization and chaos exist at every level of business. And so over the years, my company has evolved into what it is today. I think the thing that has contributed most to my longevity is listening to what my clients are telling me they want. When we start off writing these business plans, we have, we're, we're making a lot of assumptions, but it's not until you actually start to roll up your sleeves and you're interacting with people one-on-one, they will almost always tell you what they want. It's a matter of whether or not we actually listen. Mm. Now, you're on a roll, but I want to back up for a moment around why Atlanta? I mean, there's lots of cities you could have gone yes. to. You could have gone to Dallas, which Excellent. is kind of straight across. You could mm-hmm. have gone to Orlando, whatever. But here's Atlanta. Of course, there's lots of uh, what we call head offices. But why Atlanta? It was either Atlanta or New York. And I really like New York City. But here's the thing. I was going to Tulane University. That's where I received my MBA. And Tulane has a very large alumni base in New York. And every year they organize an event where it's, it's almost like a field trip where students can actually go and mingle with alumni at these different companies and organizations in New York City. And I had always gone to New York for fun, Ken, but this was different because it really gave me a taste of what life... <laughs> As a New Yorker working, you know, a very stressful, high-energy, high-impact job, what that would actually look like. And I remember I was at, I think it was Citigroup, and we were talking to some people, and I'll never forget this guy saying, you know, I make six figures, but I can't afford to live in Manhattan. And I thought that was insane, And I, you know, here I was in New Orleans, I had my own home, I had my own car, and if I were to go to New York, I would have to give up both, more than likely. And I just, it was just going to be such a dramatic shift in lifestyle that I I wasn't ready to make that Mm -hmm. drastic of a change at that moment. And so I instead went to Atlanta, where it's funny because I knew a lot of people in New York but I only knew one person when I came here to Atlanta. But again, I just saw Atlanta. Atlanta was a city that I would visit, and I would always see that business presence and mindset that's here. I didn't want to go to Texas because to me, Texas was it's next. It's a next door state, and it's it was like, well, I mean, I may as well stay here in New Orleans. I mean, I I, I said if I'm going to get away, I want to get away. So you got away. So there you are. Got away. Yes. So, so when you think about your business. You know, we have 
probably about 10 to 15 minutes left in the show. Can you believe it? It's already gone that fast. Uh, What I'd like you to share is when you think about, you know, small and also medium or larger size companies, what are people missing? Why is it so difficult for people to set up systems and processes? We, I mean, most of us know it. Most of us appreciate the fact that there is a checklist that the pilot uses before they take off. We appreciate that, that they've done the training. We appreciate the air traffic controller knows what they're doing. What's hindering people's ability to do this for themselves? If we're talking about larger organizations, it's the bureaucracy. It's the literally the, the management structure. It gets in the way. For smaller companies, there are a number of things. One of the biggest things that I personally see is that we don't, I think we make a mountain out of a molehill. When we hear the word process or procedure, we're like, oh, dear God. We're thinking of the big, thick, clunky operations manual that's going to sit somewhere on a bookcase or on a desk never to be touched. Well, we all watched Apollo 13 and NASA, so that's what we're thinking. (laughs) But what I say is do things that are easily accessible using the technologies that you already have. So, for example... So many of us are, are, you know, have smartphones nowadays and we're using different apps. Place your processes or these simple checklists in the places where people are already going. Anything that takes extra steps for people to have access alone is a huge issue. So if I have to, if in order for me to follow a certain process at your company, if that requires me having to physically go to your office and go inside of a, a specific room or office and take out a manual from a shelf, that's too much work. I'm not going to bother. But if you made that available as a Google Doc, or if you made that available, if you created your own app with, you know, in-house specific for your company that I can just install on my phone, okay, it's quick, easy, easy to follow, no problem. I'm also a huge advocate of video. I encourage many of my clients, create your own private YouTube channel. It's free, especially if it involves something physical or the handling of a tangible product, just grab your smartphone. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. That's the other way we mess up as small business owners. We think it has to be very elaborate, fancy, over the top. The bottom line is this. Your processes are your business's recipes for success. Mm. The, the thing that you have to remember when you're talking about process, procedure, system, whatever word you're using to describe it, the, the only thing that matters is when I hand this off to someone else, will they be able to reproduce it as though I did the work myself? So that's well, why that's I where a lot of businesses are exposed, even larger ones. Yes. Is yes. The intellectual capital is stuck in a person's head. Absolutely. And when they go, then you don't even know what to do or where to go with it. Now, when you think about, let's just stay focused on maybe even a personal application. So think about all the professionals that are listening to this show. What advice would you give me to help organize my life, period, better? Your life or your business? My life. Your life. Organizing your life. (laughs) That's a loaded question. Well, that's why I asked the expert. I have yes. on this show for that reason. Yes. So organizing <laughs> your life, and I'm assuming this is organizing your life 
considering that you may have a very demanding job or business that takes up a significant amount of your time. I like to, this is, this might sound a little kooky or crazy, but bear with me for a minute. I organize my life according to the days of the week, the meaning behind the days of the week. And I, I'm more than happy to explain what I mean by that if, if, if you want me to go through oh, that. Oh, yeah, let's, yeah okay, so, that, so uh, the listeners can apply the techniques in the thought. So, for example, this is what I do. I do and, you know, um, yes, I'm a nerd, but hear me out. So Sunday is named after the sun, right? The sun's day. It's the first day of the week. That's the day that I use to actually strategize how I want the rest of the week to flow. It's the day that I do my planning. Of course, things don't always go according to plan, but as long as I have comfort knowing I've already planned things out. So that might mean making sure you have all of your outfits, all of your clothing picked out for the week. It might mean making sure that you have, you've packed your lunch for, or you have enough meals to last you for the remainder of the week. Whatever that looks like for you, plan to the best extent possible, try to plan things out for the week. Think about all of the meetings that you have coming up that particular week. One of the things that I use is a tickler system where I have a file box and I have hanging file folders that are labeled 1 through 31. Not every month has 31 days, but, but you get what I'm saying. If there's any paperwork that's associated with a particular meeting or if there's anything that's involved with a project that I'm working on, I put that information in that particular hanging file folder. That way, as I get up every day, every morning, and I'm planning out, okay, what are all of the appointments that I have to go on today? What are the different, do I have podcast interviews? Do I have client sessions? Do I have an event that I need to attend? All of that information that's associated with all of those different things is in that particular folder that represents that day of the week. Mm. Okay. Monday. Monday is named after the moon. It is literally the moon's day. The moon is associated with emotion, right? Mondays are my days for reflection. So Saturday, Sunday, I've planned everything out. Monday is the day that I'm actually starting to do the things that I need to do to delegate. So it's very rare that I schedule meetings before noon on a Monday. And we've all heard the, the expression, oh, so-and-so has a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Because we've come back from the weekend on a high a lot of times, and then we're back to the reality of, of going back to work or going back to running our businesses on Mondays. So Monday is associated with the moon. Tuesday, Tuesday is actually named after an old Norse god called Tew, which the equivalent is Mars, and that's known as the god of action and war. So Tuesday is the day of action. That's why so many people, when they release, release their newsletters, they do it on a Tuesday. That's when I release my newsletters, is on Tuesdays. If you, especially if you have some type of a call to action, if you're trying to sell something, a lot of times Tuesdays work as great launch days. Wednesday is named after the Germanic god Woden. So Woden's Day, the equivalent is Mercury, but that's all associated with communication. 
Thursday. So, you know, again, I, I always try to schedule my client sessions as an example on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, if that's I can. A, that's also so that you have the practical opportunity to have a long weekend if you have to. Sure, but that's when I also find that I'm most productive is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Of course. And again, you know, I'm looking at it from a, this, this is getting a little bit more metaphysical maybe, but, you know, tapping into the energy that's associated with a particular day of the week. And then Friday, well, excuse me, Thursday is named after Thor, Thor's Day. Thursdays for me, it's, it's all about wrapping things up. I'm reflecting on everything that I set out to do for the week. And before the week actually ends, I'm already thinking again, okay, is there anything that I haven't done that I set out to do? And is, this, is it something that I can, in fact, take care of by tomorrow before the work week officially, excuse me, before the work week officially ends? And then Friday, of course, is named after the, the Germanic god Frigg or Frida, which is Frida's Day, Friday, also associated with Venus, love, freedom. That's why so many of us say TGIF, thank goodness it's Friday. It's time to unwind, finish up the week, and then Saturday, of course, is named after Saturn, Saturn's Day, which represents the ending. And so Saturdays are days that I definitely take off. So that's just one way I organize my life is by kind of tapping into the energy that's associated with each day of the week and really trying to organize everything that I do based on that. Mm. Well, there's some uh, practicality to that where uh, why would we try to swim upstream when we can go with the flow and it just goes way easier for us. When you think about working with some clients that maybe won't be quite as detailed-oriented as you are, how do you get them to, to embrace structure? Let's say if they have a small business or a small company and it's less than 50 people, mm -hmm. how do you actually get them to embrace this kind of discipline around these things? Because some people might have their eyes roll in the back of their heads and well, listen, I'm never going to do that. What do you say to them? <laughs> but you can, you can. And it all starts with, you, you have to take that very first step. So what I do whenever I start working with a client, I've already mapped out when we are going to do certain things and on what day. I make sure that they check their calendar to see if they're available on those, on those days. And then I book it right away. And that starts to get them into the habit of saying, okay, I don't have to play the guessing game as to when we're going to meet next. I already know. Okay, she's, she's mapped out this plan ahead of time. I have something now where I can look at what's been forecasted or predicted and then actually see whether or not we meet some of these different milestones that have already been pre-planned. Mm -hmm. So when we're thinking about... And I just want to kind of get an answer around this question, and that is, you know, if I have this business and I can bring the structure to our relationship, but how do I, you get me as a small business owner to kind of implement this? If I haven't been a business owner that's been able to implement a structure, let's say it's, you know, 20, 30, 40 em employees, how do you get me to kind of get into that space? I always say it's, it's kind of what, like what Stephen Covey said. You have to do it, practice anything for at least 90 days in order for it to become a habit. So set, it could be something 
as simple can as setting up reminders on your calendar for yourself. I do this all the time. I have to remind myself to do certain things. Otherwise, I will forget. So it could be something as simple as setting up a reminder in your calendar system that tells you, okay, you know, setting up a recurring calendar appointment in your system that says every Sunday at 4 p.m., take 30 minutes to plan out the week. And once you start doing that and and it's synchronized with your phone, because more than likely you're constantly looking at your phone and not a computer, you start to get into that habit. And once you've done it enough, you no longer have to always be reminded. You'll just naturally start to do it. That's, That's really how you develop any type of habit. Now, if you still find that you're just not that disciplined, you may have to find or or hire an assistant who can compliment you, a person who may be more detailed-oriented and more structured and can help keep you better organized. Mm. And that's one of the things we teach is sometimes that might not be my gifting, but I might borrow from somebody else's ability to be able to do it. Exactly. We only have a few minutes left, if you can believe that already. And I think we've got a lot of really good information for the individuals to start thinking about. But before we get into some final comments about, uh, from you, is you've written a new book. So just share with the audience what that book is, where they can get it, and also where they can find out to uh, get more information about you and your work. Sure. So the name of my book is called Behind the Facade, How to Structure Company Operations for Sustainable Success. It is a how-to book, literally a how-to book. I've been listening to some of your other podcast interviews, and I've I've heard mention of Michael Gerber and and his book, The E-Myth. Think of this as the next step after The E-Myth. So The E-Myth does an excellent job of warming you up to the idea of why processes and systems and operations manuals are so important. This book actually tells you how to create those different things. It doesn't do it in a boring step-by-step type of format. These are actually short stories based on people that I've actually worked with. All names have been changed, um, but each character represents somewhere between five to seven different people that I've worked with, and it actually describes them tackling a very specific challenge in their business and how they apply this methodology to actually solve that issue. Well, that's awesome. And then where can they uh, find out more about that? So the book is available anywhere, uh, any online retailer. So obviously Amazon. There's also Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, but pretty much any major online book retailer would have the book. You can also go to the website behindthefacadebook.com. And if you want to learn more about me, a great place to connect with me would be on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter as well as Instagram. And my consulting, I know I'm giving out a lot of sites, but my consulting website is eqbsystems.com. Well, we'll put, uh, for those of you listening that are driving, we'll make sure that the show notes have all the links and everything in there. So thank you for that. But you also have a podcast that you've started too. Yes, it's called The Business Infrastructure Show. And I have guests on weekly. 
and we talk very specifically about business infrastructure. So it's not a topic that's usually discussed when it comes to small businesses, but one of the things that we're very clear about is providing actionable tips for small business owners that they can immediately begin applying in their businesses. Mm, awesome. Well, you've shared a lot of great insights in your story, and thank you for being so authentic and real about your life and all the different things. Now, if you were to add to your wisdom the last couple of items for our show today, for people to be successful in life, knowing all the different road bumps or roadblocks, pardon me, that people can run into, what would be sort of your last tidbits of wisdom to encourage people to be successful in life? Know thyself. Know thyself, because when you know who you are and what you stand for, you're not going to easily succumb to things that will take you off of your path. And just know that when you are trailblazing, it can be a very lonely path. And if it were easy, more people would be doing it. Always try to connect with other like-minded people because sometimes it could be your very best friend. It could be your family members and they just won't get you or what you're trying to do. And they mean well, they're well-intentioned, but they just don't get it. And, and it can be heartbreaking because, of course, you want to share your dreams and your goals and your aspirations with the people that are closest to you, the people that you love, but they're not going to always get it. So surround yourself for your own sanity. Surround yourself also with people who do understand you, who do encourage you, who do tell you, you know what, you can do this. Well, thank you very much for hanging out and being on the show with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. <laughs> well, we are definitely going to be having you set up systems, right? And um, uh, Now, I'm not sure if I should hang out with you or not because a hurricane could be on its way, but we'll just, we'll just leave that away. I can come up to Canada. <laughs> well, for sure, for sure. Uh, well, SOS listeners, you know, she said she left a lot of tidbits for you as far as bringing structure. Yes, I know some of you, you it, the, the D word, the discipline word, it's something like almost like a swear word for you. But we know it is thank goodness for structure, because if we didn't have it, we'd just have full chaos. So own that space. Be responsible for it. Start to take some action steps. Go online and get her book, and we'll make sure that that's in the show notes behind the facade. And so thank you for spending your most valuable commodity with us. That's your time. If you like what we're doing, please share it, pass it on, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.